Welcome to Pondcast. This podcast centers the topics that interest and the stories of Ponderosa Commons residents here on UBC campus, which is located on the unceded territory of the Musqueam people. I'll be your host today. My name is Camille Amir, and I'm a fifth-year BFA creative writing student who uses she, her, hers pronouns and works as a residence advisor here in Pond. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that myself and my guests are recording this episode on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. Although we're having this conversation digitally, it is important that as we come together to discuss mental health and the stigmas around it, that we can acknowledge our limited capacity to cause change if we don't educate ourselves and stand in solidarity with Indigenous communities who are failed by our mental health and other healthcare institutions. I would also like to enter the space with a trigger warning, so we will be talking about mental health. It is our intention here at Pondcast to actively be a safe space for people to share their experiences, and we're incredibly humbled to get an opportunity to hear your stories. In this episode, we'll be talking about mental health. What really is mental health, and what does it look like as a university student? We'll be talking to some wonderful campus organizations, as well as friends here in Ponderosa, to see what taking care of your mental health looks like, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. Without further ado, we will have our guests introduce themselves. Uh, my name is Claire. I use she, her pronouns. I'm the support and advocacy coordinator at the SASC, and I am here at the nest today. So I'm on the unceded and traditional territories of the Musqueam peoples. And I want to thank you for um, doing such a great land acknowledgement as we got started. That's really important to the work we do and any, really any kind of work, but especially rooted in anti-violence, recognizing the harms that have happened on these lands and how that's um, perpetrated through sexual and colonial violence ongoing to me. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask if you have any ways you want to elaborate on how the SASC um, contributes to, like you said, anti-colonial violence um, as well as mental health support. Yeah, so SASC, I should start, stands for um, Sexual Assault Support Center. So we serve um, survivors of sexualized violence, um, which is a really broad umbrella term. Um, it comes in many shapes and forms, but as we know, um, some folks are disproportionately um, represented in groups of survivors, um, especially um, BIPOC folks, um, folks with of gender, sorry, marginalized genders. Um, and one thing I think is really great about the SASC and that I really want to make sure everyone knows is that we do serve folks of all genders. Um, we're not gender exclusive in any way. Everyone is welcome in our space. Um, it is a feminist and anti-oppressive space. So our role is not to tell anyone what to do, but we provide support and walk along survivors in their healing journey, however that may look. Wow, that's a really nice way, I think, of describing it, of people's healing journeys. Um, yeah, such a wonderful resource, and we're really lucky today to have you, Claire, today speaking on behalf of SASC um, and hearing a little bit about just how the SASC really wonderfully intervenes and helps support students in what can be a really hard time, I think, in people's lives. So we want to start our first question today is, what does mental health mean to you? Yeah, so for me, mental health is a really broad umbrella term. Um, I consider it a neutral term. I know within our societal context, just the term mental health on its own often has a negative context, but it really doesn't need to. I think it's just as equal to physical health where it can have a positive, negative, neutral context and on its own is a neutral term. Um, and most importantly, when thinking about mental health, I like 
to emphasize that it doesn't exist in isolation. Um, it's just one aspect of our overall health um, that exists alongside our emotional health, social, physical, um, spiritual, de really depending on the person, how they like to break down their different components of health. Um, yeah, it's really up to each individual person, but it's just, it's kind of a term we use to talk about our overall well-being um, and our mental state, but like I said, can really, really mean so many different things. Um, so I'm really excited to talk a bit more about it today. Totally. I think I really like how you're bringing into these pieces of how it is personal to each individual, but we often are using this as like a very broad term to describe a whole range of experiences for people. Um, so I'm excited too to dive into a little bit of like what people can be doing to kind of fill in those different aspects of their mental well-being. Um, to move on to our second question. So in your experience, how have you seen COVID-19 impact students' mental health? I think COVID-19 and closures have had a really broad um, and negative impact on students' mental health. Um, of course, many of us know that um, the opposite of like, poor mental health is social connection and just really um, being with one another and knowing that we're not alone and the way that this virus has made folks feel unsafe day to day, doing their regular activities, going to the grocery store, talking to their friends, especially at the beginning when we had a very limited understanding to how the virus worked. Um, really heightened anxiety that unfortunately I think we'll see for generations to come with how how much it's impacted on a broad scale just how um, scared we are to walk around but getting back to the isolation piece um, we've definitely seen rates of domestic violence going up um, unfortunately that's common in any kind of pandemic not necessarily um, only related to COVID-19 um, and Another huge aspect is because that we've, we've had to be isolated and in our own homes and not able to go outside, um, many of us have lost our regular coping strategies. Often when we feel upset, we'd go outside for a walk, we'd go talk to our friends. Um, so, so many things um, that have been eliminated. So even if we're dealing with the same stressors, just not being able to go outside, we have less resources to deal with those stressors. Um, so with everything on top of each other, and then with classes moving online, um, and just so much change in such a short period of time, definitely have seen um, yeah, really big impact from this virus on students' mental health. Totally. I think, you know, in asking this question, this is such a big question. And I think you answered so many aspects of this question in terms of, I mean, for one, on the individual level, how it's so hard to cope um, in isolation, but I think also just seeing your life transform and change and um, not living your day-to-day -day reality in the same way and how that can really be impactful of a student's mental health or really anybody's mental health. What are some signs do you think that we could look out for, especially kind of in this COVID time, um, that someone we know is struggling with their mental health? Yeah, I definitely like to say that we should never assume that someone isn't struggling. Um, people hide the ways that they're struggling in really different ways, so it can be really hard to tell how someone is doing. I think some of the more obvious signs we can look for is whether um, we notice somebody's been isolating more, if we used to talk to someone all the time and then just slowly they 
are no longer reaching out, um, especially if we notice this is a pattern between them and, and other people as well. Even if somebody, you know, seems to be doing great and they're, they're running around all the time and doing all these things, if they're doing a lot extra than they were before, that might also be just how they're coping and that, that's totally fine, um, but can definitely be some signs that it could be useful to reach out because I think that's really the only way we can know how someone's doing is to ask. And even if they don't feel comfortable answering truthfully right away, just saying that you're a safe person to reach out to when they're ready can be really helpful. Totally. I think that's such a great point in terms of thinking about a lot of those little things that people might be doing, both explicitly and more implicitly, that might indicate how we can be better reaching out to each other. Do you have any strategies? And this is veering off a little bit of some of our questions, but um, what you might say or do to reach out to a friend um, who might be struggling with mental health. I know some people kind of struggle with figuring out what that language is to reach out to someone. Totally. And it doesn't need to be super explicit, especially when it comes to our friends. Um, you know, just checking in with like, hey, bud, haven't heard from you in like a couple months. <laughs> What's <laughs> up? Are you doing okay? Um, you know, and we, we might not always be the best resource for mental health like their specific mental health, but maybe we can reach out and be like, hey, like, I'm having a hard time studying by myself. Do you want to study over Zoom together? Um, and just approach it from those kind of more soft, subtle angles. Um, like we talked about earlier, mental health is super broad. It can incorporate social health. So just making sure that we're staying connected um, is, is super beneficial for someone's mental health, even if we are uncomfortable to say directly, like, hey, are you, are you depressed? And, you know, if you are comfortable with that, that's okay, too, as long as that's a safe space for both people. Because um, there's a lot of stigma around asking, and there really doesn't need to be. And I think just starting from a place of empathy and connection and and letting them know that there's, there's no judgment and stigma, that you're really just like, hey, I just really want to check in with you. Um, I've noticed there's been a lot of change in your behavior recently, and you know, if that's just what you need to do to get by, that's totally fine. But if you need someone to talk to and that's not working out, then like just, just let me know I'm here for you. Totally. think really great language in terms of thinking about how we can be safe spaces almost to our friends. Um, I really, yeah, I like those tangibles of just thinking about the language we, we can start to use. And like how you said, like those soft ways you can reach out to people that don't have to feel like you're asking a big question, especially if you don't really feel like you have the resources. I mean, for one, if you're capable, but also feel like you even know how to support someone um, in a baseline way. Uh, what is some advice you would give to someone who is struggling with their mental health on the other side of things? Yeah, I think number one is just to remember, and sometimes this is extremely difficult, but just remember that you're really not alone. And that gets thrown out there a lot. I think that can almost be a buzz term, um, but it really is true. Every experience, um, thought, any kind of emotion, any kind of coping strategy that we try, um, it's normal to the human experience. Even if we don't want it to be normalized, even if it's even if they're thoughts that we're struggling with, even if they're coping strategies that no longer serve us and we are looking for um, new ones and to explore things that might feel healthier in the long term, um, everything that we feel and think is normal to the human experience. And someone else has gone through that and is currently going through that, especially right now. Um, 
yeah, I think that's most of what I was going to say there. It's just knowing that you're not alone um, is really, I think, vital. And then, and then knowing that you, um, you know, like you have more resources than you think. Sometimes it's easy to feel like when a new emotion, a new thought arises, it's easy to feel like I don't, I don't know what to do right now. And that's, that's super fair. Um, but it's also incredible. Um, if somebody asks like, what have you done in a similar situation? Think, Oh, I do have some coping strategies. Oh, I, you know, I, I do know what to do to some degree. And I just need a little bit of support to get to the next step. Um, and that's totally fine because healing and moving through, um, with mental health will look super different to everyone. And just knowing that that's okay and that you'll get through this. Totally. No, I think that sentiment, like you said, like you're not alone, although we might kind of joke about it sometimes being a little cliche is just so I think on the point, especially kind of in this current landscape. And I really want to highlight what you said. I wrote this down, like everything we feel and think is normal um, or uh, everything we feel and think is normal. And like someone else is already is doing them as part of the human experience. You know, I think sometimes when you're feeling really low, it's really normal to think like you're the only one going through something. Um, and then this pandemic, like literally every single one of us are going through this. Um, and as students, like even outside of this pandemic, someone else is probably struggling with the same thing that you're struggling with. And I think it's a very humanizing way to look at them. I know you had mentioned to me earlier about um, sharing some a grounding exercise. Um, what, um, what grounding exercise would you like to share with us today? Yeah, I thought we could do a really quick breathing exercise. Um, this one is probably the most well-known, but I think is also just the best place to start if somebody is new to breathing exercises and grounding exercises. I know they can kind of get thrown around as um, buzz terms that um, are almost used to say like, hey, just like deal with your anxiety, just, you know, get over this. Um, but the reality is anxiety, depression, a lot of, you know, that, those are just two of very many. Um, but it's, it's a physical response to what's going on around us. It's often rooted in trauma. It's often rooted in societal factors. Um, like I said earlier, everything is connected. Our mental health is, does not exist in isolation. So um, it really is a reminder that um, when we have these overwhelming experiences, um, it's our body saying that it's on high alert and something's wrong and, and there very likely could be something wrong. But before we can address that, um, we need to make sure that we feel safe. So connecting with our breathing is one way that we can connect with that alert system, help calm it down and have a little bit more control over how our body's reacting. Um, so similarly, when we need to feel super alert, um, our breathing will naturally increase. So one of the main things that, um, like one of the most helpful things is to slow down our breathing. And so like I, I don't know if I said the word earlier, but um, it's called box breathing or square breathing. Um, so very simply, it's when somebody breathes in for four seconds, hold the breath for four seconds, out for four seconds and hold at the bottom for four seconds. And it can be helpful if someone's comfortable to close their eyes and visualize that, but it can also be used in class, in front of a camera, just doing it um, 
with other people not noticing, which is why I think this is also a really cool one to start with. And it can also be really easily adjusted. Some people don't love holding their breath out for four seconds. That can be really hard. Um, and there's also a lot of other breathing techniques that build on this. For example, to breathe out slower than how much we're breathing in. All these other things can be really helpful. But um, for those who are new, I think just a simple box breathing is a good place to start. So if you're comfortable, I'll lead you through it. Oh, um, we'll just do, let's do two rounds to keep it kind of short. So um, if you're comfortable, no worries. Um, no one's going to see this, but you're welcome to close your eyes. And I'd invite you to just roll your shoulders back and relax and take a moment to feel your breath and to feel your chest, to feel the air moving in and out of your nose. And when you're ready, we'll get started. We'll breathe in for four. So breathe in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, and hold, two, three, four. We'll do one more, breathe in, two, three, four, hold, out, and hold. And then when you're ready to rejoin me, open your eyes. That was really lovely. <laughs> we can do that for a lot longer. Um, as a resource here for folks who act, like access our resource at the past, um, it's not uncommon to feel triggered um, by you know, many things. That's how trauma works. Sometimes a smell or a color, really the most what might seem random things can trigger us. And it's not uncommon um, for someone to call us and for us to help do a grounding exercise or even in a conversation if we're talking about something heavy. I kind of start by feeling grounded and then we can feel a little bit more in control of ourselves and really safety is the most important. So that's where we like to start. Cool. I, I, yeah, thank you so much for, I think, bringing this very like, tangible example into this conversation. And like you said, like this is such a great tool, one for people kind of facing their own trauma. And I think really just any moment that you might be confronting something that you're feeling challenged by and you need a moment to yourself, this is such a great kind of simple tool that people can start approaching, um, just feeling a little bit safer in the body. Do you have any, would you have any like resources, for example, um, about if people were looking for other grounding exercises where they might be able to find those? Yeah, I mean, a quick Google search for sure. Um, and then if someone were to come in, I would generally ask them what they've tried before, what works for them. Some folks love meditation um, and others hate it. So I'm not going to recommend some meditation exercises if that's not what works for them. So like everything else, it's super individual. Um, but just off the top of my head, um, definitely start with box breathing. If that's already something too simple, there's something called 478 breathing, which anyone could Google. There's a lot of resources there. Um, yeah, like I could name a few. There isn't necessarily one amazing resource that I would send out to folks, but um, that's definitely something that people can come here and talk to us about. They could reach out to a counselor, even for short-term um, free resources, like free counseling, they would be able to recommend a lot of different grounding exercises. Totally. Makes a lot of sense. Like there, 
you know, there's no perfect approach for anyone. So there's not going to be a great perfect resource. And the best resource is someone you can talk to and share your experiences with and might be able to help you personally navigate those things. Yeah. And the other thing, um, one thing to remember when we're starting to use these kind of tools is that they take practice just like everything else. And when we're feeling really anxious or hypervigilant, that might not be the best time to practice. So if we've never done it before, it might not serve us super well the first time and that's okay. Um, I just would like to encourage people to try again and to take some time to explore what that looks for them, looks like for them when they're feeling safe and grounded and then what do they like there? And then that will really help reconnect with that feeling when they need it. Totally. That actually makes so much sense of kind of figuring how, kind of working backwards of how can you make yourself feel safe when you know you're feeling safe and how can you apply the things you're feeling then to things you're feeling when you're not feeling great. Such a great point. What do you think we could do like even more um, as individuals, as a collective, help fight against some of these barriers? Different ways we can go about this, different starting points. Um, as an individual, it can definitely feel a little daunting. Um, like we talked about earlier, though, just reaching out to our friends is an amazing place to start um, working and building community and then getting involved with different resources, volunteering, even just gaining those skills so that we can support our friends if that's really what the goal is. And really to support ourselves so that we know how to navigate our own mental health. Um, because I really do think that's important. The first step is really easy to get burnt out and to focus on everyone else around us and to forget about ourselves. Um, and then, yeah, we can definitely speak out and talk out more and help normalize. There are a lot of campaigns. Um, yeah, just so many. I'm not going to start <laughs> um, listing them. Um, but there, there are a lot of resources that already exist that we can become a part of. And definitely um, within UBC as an institution, we can reach out more to faculty members to incorporate um, safer practices within classes. For example, um, asking professors to provide trigger warnings at the beginning of the semester so that folks, especially survivors, can have an understanding and just be prepared for that class instead of having to leave halfway through because something unexpected come up, came up. And sometimes that's really hard and really shouldn't be the job of survivors that can be on all of us. So we can make those kind of small changes and advocate for faculty and staff to be more accommodating um, for everyone. Absolutely, I think you're speaking to, to like the ability for all of us to act in solidarity um, with survivors and how you know, even if you are not necessarily someone who survived yourself, what it means to be standing in solidarity with someone who has and thinking about those tangible things you can do to show your solidarity and perform your allyship kind of on a day by day basis. Um, I'm very, yeah, I'm very interested in this idea of exploring that kind of here on a university campus. Like you brought up such a great example um, of kind of interactions with faculty and providing those trigger warnings in classes. Are there any other examples that you can think of? Um. There are a lot of things that come up working at the SASC. One of the things we do is support with academic concessions. So I see that in a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of different ways. I would love there to be more training for different 
professors and instructors to know how to respond to disclosures. I think really everyone should have that training, but especially being an instructor, you know, somebody might come up and say, hey, I can't finish my assignment because of domestic violence happening in my home. Um, and it's really important that folks, one, know how to respond to that, and then two, which resources to refer out to, um, because ultimately it's not their job, and they won't have the full training and capacity um, to support that person, but it's really damaging when they are not aware of services that already exist. The SASC is here. We also have SV Pro, so we're super privileged to have two different um, organizations on campus, um, but unfortunately there are still a lot of um, staff and faculty who are unaware of the resources. So, you know, if any way, if any student could even just kind of incorporate that, bring it up, just make sure that, you know, it's, they're well known, um, including all of the other mental health resources, of course, there are plenty um, that can really make a big difference on campus. Totally. That's, I think, really speaking to that power of education and just um, knowledge is power. And when we're able to share those resources with people where even just in a very small way allowing people just like the knowledge to access those things and by stating it we're sharing that we are encouraging people to access those spaces and access that support they need yeah exactly well thank you so much claire for coming today and speaking to me and sharing just so many wonderful things and sharing also so much about like the sask and the great work you guys are doing over there um I yeah, really appreciate you taking this time um, and kind of learning and growing and like challenging um, this concept we call mental health um, here with me today. Thank you for joining us on Pondcast today. Let us know, Ponderosa, what are you pondering today? This podcast was produced by me, Camila Mir, and our wonderful editors, Jamie Coates and Ivana Zhikovic. This podcast would also not be made possible without the support of our coworker, Sarah Parks, and our supervisor, the Residence Life Manager of Ponderosa Commons, Lyndon Duncan. See you later.